welcome to the chorus in the chaos podcast uh we're back it is the we're time time to continue the second half of season two we took a little bit of a break uh for summer activities blake grayson did you guys have a good summer yeah good for the most part okay <laughs> i wasn't right. prepared for this question i don't <laughs> yeah. know I, I sprung yeah no got some outdoor activities in and uh got some you know it's like gardening season and everything right now yeah. so Lots of activities that way. We raised like 80 chickens this summer oh, uh, nice. for the freezer. So we got that all done. And it's nice to be kind of back into a normal flow, school starting up again. All yep. that good stuff. Yeah, you had a very you, productive Grayson? summer. Uh, our summer went by actually pretty. How many chickens did you raise this summer, Grayson? Uh, <laughs> I, how many did you raise? 80? I raised 90. Okay. <laughs> no, actually, our summer was. Uh, Pretty unproductive in many ways. Becca Becca was out just because she had a surgery in the beginning of the summer. So she was healing up, and we didn't get to do much until the end of the summer. So for us, it was kind of a mad dash at the end of, I mean, normal stuff. We, we've got a decent property, at least, so the kids were able to get outside and play all summer yeah. long. But we didn't get to take any family trips or anything like that this year or really mm -hmm. do much of anything. But so it went by oddly fast in that regard. It yeah. was done and kids are now in school again and everybody's just moving full speed ahead yeah yeah good, good. how about, how you, about you jack good summer it's a good summer all right it was <laughs> a summer i'll never forget Do you now, remember, you know, by jack lee in in sometime in june we went to colorado which was nice we did like uh usually we do beach vacations whenever we go out um, cause we're not close to water. So it's like, yeah. we should go by water. Cause we're in Oklahoma. Right. This time the, we went to mountains, which was a the, lot of fun. So we did the so Rocky the beaches in Colorado are awful. <laughs> Very cold, <laughs> very cold beaches. You guys um, went on that high road too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in rock, this is the part of the podcast that people hate. They're like, we, yeah. everyone right now is just thinking, I don't care what you did. Right. We yeah. never used to be like this. <laughs> no, is didn't. this the, is this the de-evolution of a podcast? It's falling apart right before us. Uh, quickly, and then we'll get into it. So Mr. Podcast listener who hates this part, you can just like skip ahead a minute and then we'll be done. But um, yeah, so in the Rocky Mountain National Park, there's like the highest road in the United States. And I think it's like 12,000 feet, something like that. Like the right. road is 12,000. It's you're really high up. It's like, dizzying. It is like you're you're up there and you're like looking down off mountains that are on top of mountains and you're like driving along the side of cliffs. It's a little unnerving at times. But I see. I, I marvel at stuff like that because the pure ingenuity of some man that's like, I'm going to build a road on this. <laughs> There's no reason well, for it. We will just carve just build through this mountain can, and right? build a tunnel. We can go and around can it, but why do that? <laughs> why do that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so where does this extremely high road lead? Nowhere. It's just, it's the just, highest road in the U.S. I'll, I'll tell you where it leads. It leads to a visitor center. And the taxpayers are paying for it. Where you can get so. a cup of coffee and buy, buy a, how much was this? A fifteen dollar Rocky Mountain National Park mug. Yeah, yeah. So you left paint. the sticker on it. That's a that's a flex. <laughs> <laughs> Guests come over. It's just yeah. a fifteen dollar mug you're mm. drinking from. Oh, yeah. you know Sorry. Oh, 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 how embarrassing! I didn't I know I left, I left the, the label sticker on at the my, bottom. You know, my fifteen dollar mug. But careful now. Apparently, the one you're drinking out of is twenty five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, oh, we're back. Season two. Uh, no. In the middle of season two, if you missed the first half of season two, I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing some things wrong. You should go back and listen to the first half of season two. 
Uh, we ended kind of a, right around the su- time the summer began with a couple episodes on biblical masculinity and femininity. Mm-hmm. And as we were going through these, uh, just, just kind of, we weren't planning on this episode that we're going to do now, but through discussion, it kind of came out. Uh, what if you're around someone, specifically a spouse, who doesn't embody these? They don't embody the Christian character. Maybe they're not Christians. And that, and Blake and I and, and, and Grayson thought we should do an episode on this. What What is it like? Or what, let's do a podcast on what it'd be like to minister to an unsaved or lukewarm spouse. And that'll be our episode today. Um, before we jump into the topic, though, I want to put up a book here. This is The Heart of the Reformation, 90-Day Devotional, uh, put out by Ligonier. We have a very good friend of the podcast who wished to remain anonymous, a uh, very humble guy, uh, sent me a handful of these. He paid for them and sent them and even sent some cash for shipping. Uh, later in the episode, Blake is going to give you a secret word. If Blake you put a secret that word secret guy. word or phrase, the first person to put it in the YouTube comments, uh, we'll put it in there. We'll tell you we one. We'll reach out to you. You can. We'll get your address and we'll mail you one of these as a free gift and a thank you for listening to the Chorus in the Chaos podcast. So, yeah. free books always good. Free books are always good. Can't be anything it. else before we jump into the topic. No, I don't. Any other roads so we want to talk about? Coffee uh, cups? No, no, no. I think we're good. I mean, one of the things we were we mentioned before and we talked about was on this episode. Um, <clears throat> a lot of what we're talking about, we're sticking tightly to, you know, biblical principle because this is a sensitive subject and it's mm-hmm. a and it's a painful subject. I mean, anybody who's in this situation of having an unsaved spouse or a lukewarm spouse, um, you know, volumes of pain that we probably can't even begin to scratch the surface of. Yeah, um, and so. You know, as always, it's running back to the word of God and saying, what does, what does God's word say about this scenario? We know that um, God's word is good and it doesn't return void. It's true. Um, and despite our desire sometimes to have, you know, well, here's five easy solutions to this scenario. Uh, the Bible doesn't always give those you know, five easy solutions. And so what we're doing uh, today is we're taking principle and we're seeking to, to apply it and praying literally that it's helpful uh, for some of you listening. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Grayson, you want to kick us off? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, what topic we're getting into today, um, we're focusing on what does it look like to be married to an unbelieving spouse or a lukewarm spouse? If you can call it that, right? Um, as Blake already mentioned, this is one of the most difficult or challenging situations a believer can face simply because, especially if you're looking at it in the scope of you know that they're an unbeliever, um, if you know the gospel, you know obviously what the end of that looks like. You know that they're headed towards hell, and you can't make them believe. You can't force them to do any of those things. <clears throat> So it becomes particularly difficult as you're just trying to navigate even the most basic aspects of life. But throw in a lukewarm spouse and you can find yourself running into many of the same issues just because you're dealing with competing worldviews. You're having one who is consistently failing on what it looks like to be um, a biblical husband or a biblical wife because they're not prioritizing godliness. They're not prioritizing the word of God in the home. So the question is, what do you do in those situations if you are the believing spouse? 
So again, as Blake mentioned, first, what we want to simply do is examine these different nuances, or at least these two primary scenarios separately, but we want to do through the lens of the Bible and apply the biblical principle to it. And our hope is that we can encourage you, that we can at least bring you back to the word of God, that you might be able to look at it and say, um, even at the end of the day, God at least knows and sees this whole situation that I may be mm -hmm. walking through right now. For some, again, it's incredibly ugly. And right. I mean that in the kindest of ways, but I, I, I'll i start this off and, and just simply saying when Beck and I first were married, and we share this very openly at this point, but she was not a believer. And so that was about a, a year of my life. And I can imagine for some of you who have gone through this for five, 10, 15 plus years, mm. um, that one year was incredibly difficult, just one year. So Truly, our, our hearts go out to you. And like we said, we want to be able to let this be something that's encouraging, but also just simply apply the balm of Scripture and bring you back to what is the biblical duties that you're beholden to regardless. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so we the Bible does deal uh, with an um, taking the unbelieving spouse. There is some very direct Scripture on the situation. So uh, mm -hmm. if it's all right with you guys, I'll go ahead and read that. Yeah. First uh, Corinthians 7. 12 through 15 says to the rest, I say, and this is Paul uh, to the rest. I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or the sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Oh. Let me ask you guys... Uh, before we jump into this, it's on topic because it's in the text, but this this comes up a lot. Whenever this verse comes up, I think someone brings this up. So Paul says here, to the rest I say, and then he puts in parentheses, I, not the Lord. Oh, I thought for sure you were going to say, what about that children thing there in the text? Guys, I, guys this is a, I'm not that petty. I've got a question. Got a, right? <laughs> a really gonna, innocent right. question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just have to delete the rest of my outline. Hang on. It's, <laughs> that was a joke. This episode just got shorter. Yeah. <laughs> the rest I say I, not the Lord. I mean, yeah. I again I don't I don't see it as anything but inspired as he's writing it. I don't yeah, I, I don't I think agree. it's a I don't think it's a it's truly a section of like, oh well this is just, you know, Paul's uh opinion hour or whatever. Right. So the uh I mean the 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 specifics of the situation and, you know, contextually you have all of these, you know, first generation Christians really in Corinth that are coming out of paganism and all these different things. Uh, they've had this radical change in worldview and, you know, they're left asking, I mean, it, I, for some the reading that text, you may read it and say, well, that's just ridiculous. Like, why would you consider you know, divorcing your unsafe spouse. But I mean, these are the legitimate questions that they're having, particularly yeah. early on. And people continue to have these questions today. Like if my worldview is so radically different um, 
and Christ has changed me so much. And now, I mean, we're just not even remotely on the same page anymore. I mean, think about the people that are in relationships, not just because um, they love each other, but think of how many uh, relationships are based around like activities, like activity based. We've kind of, uh, we've, we've kind of talked about this before. How many people go through life with like treating weed as a personality, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is my, this is my everything. This is who I am. These are the people I hang out with. This is what I do. This is my, this is my all, this is the all encompassing aspect of my personality. Right. And then you see like how friendships and even relationships are then based around those things. And so if you have somebody, you know, in Corinth, that's, you know, a pagan or whatever else, and there's been this radical change, what are you supposed to do? Like, you don't even know the person anymore, you know, yeah. or you don't have the same interest. The things that used to bind you together, they don't bind you together anymore. So the question comes about, well, should I divorce my unbelieving spouse? And then Paul says, I mean, obviously in the clearest of terms, yeah, he's very clear. Yeah, yeah, no, no. That's a question that comes up. I've still heard it from people today. I mean, mostly online is where I've seen it in different groups where people, they'll pose a scenario and they're like, okay, so do you think that I should divorce them or what? And I think right. in many ways, what people tend to do, and I think it was the same in Paul's day, is that um, we tend to look for the way out. And I don't yeah. mean that even as a slam. I just in my own life. And I think of the different hardships that I've gone in um, 90% of the time, at least as an early Christian, that was more so on my mind than how do I abide through it? Well, and, right. Right. Who so, likes suffering? Right. Yeah, like, no one. like no don't one. you, like, don't you naturally, or don't you naturally find yourself in a difficult situation <laughs> and say, okay, how can I move at least through this with as like the least amount of bloodshed possible, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm grateful that Paul is so clear here because in, in the context you brought up, Blake, it's, it's really important because we're personally, I feel like we're moving into a new Corinth, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the worldview is very, the modern American worldview is not that dissimilar from the Corinth worldview, right? Mm-hmm. And just what it upholds and what it idolizes and, and holds up there. So just to know that in that extreme of a situation where you've got these extreme competing cultures in a single household, mm-hmm. Paul says, if they consent to live with you, right. Yep. Should divorce them, stay there. And, and, uh, and maybe that's the first point here is there's a, there's a heavy emphasis throughout all of scripture, but specifically in this situation on personal conduct. Right. You right. Know, if if you're in that situation and your spouse is, is an unbelieving spouse, you know, it is, it is unbelievably difficult. I think everyone who Grayson experienced that a little bit, and I'm sure if you're involved at a church, you know, there, there's a lot of people who will sympathize with you and, and provide some empathy, but at some point you can only be responsible for you, mm-hmm. right? You can mm-hmm. be responsible for you. And there's an element of, your character is the closest thing they'll see to Christ. Right. Or the most, the most frequent experience of, of a Christ-like person that, that, that they'll speak like they're, you're in the house with them. So to, to that sense, you, you have an incredible amount of influence on them uh, in, in that sense. So, and I, it, and mm-hmm. I think that's 
I'm just speculating. I think that's part of the reason Paul says stay there because the Lord could use use you. Now he doesn't know that, right? At the end of it, he even he goes, God has called you for peace. For how do you know whether you'll save your husband? Like he's oh, even right. kind of like presuming yeah. this this right. this logic, right? He doesn't know. So if they leave, let them go. But if they'll stay, you get to be that voice of the gospel to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's an an interesting thing I think we often can pass by with this chunk of verses, but when he talks about the unbelieving spouse being made holy, um, yeah. there's just this, there's a, a, the way I try to describe it with people that I've, I've either counseled or just talked with vicariously is that um, just simply by your presence as a genuine Christian, there is a, a, a mark of holiness in that household. Now mm-hmm. they get to experience in some way, shape or form, some of the blessings of what it means to just simply be in the company of one who's got the indwelling spirit. Um, that has a an effect, like that has a tangible effect, not only in your own life, but that has a producing effect in the household where you think right. of a, a person enslaved to sin prior. Um, now they've been saved by Christ. They have the spirit indwelling them. Their, their own behavior is matching that of Jesus Christ's, uh, maybe little by little or a lot by lot, depending on how sanctification is going for them at that time. But no matter what, that person's getting a clear depiction of Jesus Christ. And they're seeing the grace of God in everyday life play out in one way or another. Yeah, you right. know, if, especially right. if you have somebody who's serious about their faith, they are they're going to be looking at it and saying, "Okay, my own devotion to my husband or to my children who are unbelievers, um, how much more so do I now show them the love of Christ?" Right, uh, right. I think, and, I, and another thing about this passage is it it assumes that the Christian is living holy, right? Um, th- yeah. There is, <clears throat> I think this is probably just in my mind because I'm, you know, preaching through Romans right now. Uh, this whole concept of a perpetually carnal Christian, you <laughs> know, the the Dallas doctrine that you can just get saved and that there is there, you know, you can be a Christian and there be no change uh, to your conduct or your life or anything you, like that. What do you mean they the are. Dallas doctrine? I I've never heard that term. Um, so the the like main proponents, no, 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 uh, oh. Dallas Theological Seminary. Oh, DTS. Okay. Yeah. Because the it's main, a... uh, <clears throat> the, the main, uh, proponents of that, um, basically, uh, that you can be saved and you can be saved without change, that sanctification is not a necessity. It's the two cross, uh, the oh. two cross kind of issue that there's two kinds of Christians that there's. Christians that are saved and they never change. And then there are Christians that are saved and then sanctified. There's like Christians that actually crucify the flesh and, you know, seek to be like Christ and things like that. Yeah. And the, and the concept, at least in the United States, the main, you know, pushers of it historically, like in the sixties and seventies were, uh, Dallas theological seminary. Yeah, that and was the Charles Ryrie picks right? it up, and of course Ryrie, yeah, of course Ryrie really pumps out, you know, a lot of that, uh, a lot of that stuff as well. And there's just this assumption that you can be a Christian and not, you know, be saved. In the in the way in the in the reason that they get that, like if you read Ryrie, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. If you read Ryrie, the reason I think that he lands on this is that he equates um, sanctification with perfection. You know, because one of the things he'll one of the things he'll say in his writing is, well, obviously there are Christians in the Bible 
who are saved that are not conformed to Christ. They're not living under Christ's lordship. Uh, even when Peter says, you know, you know, when, when I said to Peter, uh, Peter, rise, kill and eat, you know, no, Lord, I haven't eaten any of these things, you know, that in that moment, Ryrie would say, well, that's proof right there that Peter's not living under the Lordship of Christ. And so they take that and they, they mix up sanctification and perfection. Well, of course there's no perfect Christian, you know, you know, but the process of sanctification scripture shows us is playing out. And, and this verse is a graphic display of that. I mean, it just puts a bullet in the idea that there's such a thing as a perpetually carnal Christian, because yeah. otherwise, if there was, then Paul would have no basis to say this, yeah. that you're, who knows if the spouse is made holy on your behalf or your children made holy on your behalf. Who knows if you will, you know, save your wife or save your husband, you know? Yeah. So I'll it's just kind of read a, about, I'll have to read about Ryrie in my encyclopedia of Southern Baptist. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> looking well, up. that yeah. was that, yeah. uh, look the whole up. lordship salvation controversy was generated around. Yeah, with uh, right. No, when, when, when you started yeah. talking about it, actually, it, I was like, oh, okay, that, that now the the, the the dots connected for me. So when yep. I was in uh, at, at school at Dallas Baptist uh, University, I had a professor there who was a big DTS guy, mm. and the big controversy on campus. Man, times have changed. Now it's all transgenderism, gender, like it's all this stuff. Hmm. The big controversy when I was in school in 2004 was that, and it, this is, it would be heretical stuff, but it's just, man, this is what people got hung up on. Right. Was because this professor was dead set that you could achieve perfection in the Christian life. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sinless perfection. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But he was a DTS guy. So there's mm. probably some similar threads there. But yeah. Anyway. At the same time, I look at things like that and it's like, that has practical outworkings. I mean, people are literally living with spouses that believe that, or in some way, yeah. shape, or form, believe that they can uh, they they can be the interlocutor for Paul in Romans. That shall we sin so grace may abound? Right? Yeah. Right. Oh, that right. was yeah. He yeah. he lived right. in that passage. Yep. Yeah. Like yeah. But either way, imagine living with somebody who did who believed that they could no longer sin. Yeah. Yeah, y'all pray for my wife. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> so the big thing with this one, though, um, personal conduct is is a must, right? When yeah. we look at everything surrounding um, the, the hardship of it, the suffering that you might be enduring, God, no matter what, has always called the believing spouse to a higher road, so to speak. And right. what that means in right. one sense is is simple, though it's not so simple to live out. And it's just the reality that despite whatever may be happening in the home, um, you are called to godliness. And it's the same mm -hmm. principle that fleshes out whether you're at work with a bad employer, um, whatever the case might be, right? Yeah. You know, verse, the, the very next verse here, we, we didn't, I didn't read it when I was reading the text, but the very next verse is, is quite good related to that personal contact. Verse 17, Paul says, so he raises that whole thing for how do you know whether you'll save your husband or your wife? You know, he says this whole thing that we just read. And then he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Yep. This, this is our rule in all the churches. Yeah, the, exactly. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yep. So, so spouse, uh, someone listening to this, if you were in that situation, you know, I think that would be our first point or maybe words of exhortation encouragement to you 
just focus on yourself. Lead the life that the Lord has assigned to you to the best that you can. Right. And pray that, you know, you would be that holy influence upon your your spouse or your household. Yep. Right? That's yeah. a, a great place and to begin. You will fail. I mean, you're going to have times where you sin. So don't forget that in the midst of it. But the point that you should always come back to is that, um, again, you're forgiven. And what you need to just simply focus on for the rest of your life, whatever that might look like, is how do I honor the Lord best in this situation? Mm-hmm. And if that means that you show them the grace of God through you seeking forgiveness at times, then what better way to show them of a merciful Lord who forgives even the worst of sinners? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So kind of the other um, aspect to this, and because we kind of lumped unsaved and lukewarm people uh, together, uh, but we but there are some differences there. So when we're talking about ministering to an unbelieving spouse, we're talking, uh, we're highly focused on uh, personal conduct, of course, which is what scripture is uh, saying as well. And then when we look at ministering to a lukewarm or a struggling spouse, uh, this is the scenario of, for example, you have uh, a husband and a wife that are in two uh, spiritually different weight classes, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that maybe one is a very immature believer or a newer believer and uh, another has been walking with the Lord for a long time, uh, as well as considering those seasons of life that you mm-hmm. go through, those kind of uh, mountains and valleys, the hot and cold uh, seasons that uh, I think every Christian probably experiences. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, of course, we love this verse with all of our go to church memes and all that good stuff. <laughs> but there's a really great principle here and an encouragement uh, for meeting together. And it's to stir one another up to love and good works and to beat each other down when one person is struggling, right? Just You just gang up on them. No, it's <laughs> encouraging one another, right? So one of the reasons that we gather as believers is to encourage one another. That is, uh, I like that illustration of the mountain climbers all tethered together, you know, that if one guy falls, the other guys help, you know, hold him in place. Um, when we're thinking about the the spousal uh, situation for a lukewarm or a struggling spouse, your role then is a role of extreme encouragement and stirring your spouse up. Uh, to love and good works by love and good works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to ask questions like, how can I build up and encourage my spouse when they do right? How do I conduct myself when they do wrong? Um, building up and encouraging when they do right. What does that, what does that look like? Do you guys think let's let's run out some scenarios here so what i guess i'm trying to follow your life so you're asking us what does that look like in our own lives or i don't know yeah, i don't know practical, practical my voice tidbits my voice, just, my voice is scratching like, <laughs> i need to get a drink something. of water here 
I wanted you for to me, pick up the baton, Jack. I'll, uh, I thought you were I'll, going into a monologue, so I was like sitting back, getting comfortable. Space, like, oh, yeah, he's thinking space about that high mountain Colorado roads. <laughs> Man, I wish I was in Colorado right now. Mountain well, I can tell you what it's not. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you it's... <laughs> we derail so quickly. I know. It's, like, it's actually like that, bad. We're, we're like that dog and up. Like I don't like squirrel. that movie. Oh. Here's my five reasons I'm why I don't act, like no, it. No, no, yeah, no. Right. <laughs> so, okay, so love and build them up with encouragement. What to, so, one thing you should not do, and I think I made this point in another episode, mm-hmm. a way to not build them up and encourage them when they do right is to constantly remind them when they do something wrong. Uh, now, you can point it out. There's certainly, there's a balance there. You need to Right. There's a, there's a case for that. Like you mm-hmm. don't want to just ignore stuff. Uh, I'm not saying that, but you don't want to just beat them over the head with it. And you certainly don't want to play the Holy spirit. So if they're lukewarm, I'm assuming maybe they're coming to church with you. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're even listening to this podcast with you. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't want to be the guy or the girl who's like nudging him in the arm. See what he said. Right. Did, did you hear what the pastor said? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Jerry. Hmm. Right. So I don't know what Jerry came from. But. Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> well, but in a much more real sense, Jerry, you need to get you need to get right. Okay. So I'm sorry. Also, this, I'm sorry we're coming at you, Jerry, but it's because we love you. Yeah. All right. But I'll follow that up. And your spouse, with, Jerry's, you. Jerry's wife. You gotta apply this to yourself too. Right. Yeah. How about that be the the key phrase? We're sorry, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, I'm there sorry, Jerry. I'm there sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. sorry, Jerry. So yeah. if you're the first person to put, I'm sorry, Jerry, in yeah. the comments of the, <laughs> of the YouTube video, you get a free. You'll get a free copy yep. of this book. Yeah, that's going to be excellent. The heart of the Reformation. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be excellent. It would be amazing um, if it was a guy named Jerry. <laughs> right. I think one of the I think one of the key verses, at least in my like, this is like practically speaking, like in my own life. When it comes to encouraging uh, your spouse and then just kind of living in a uh, in a spirit of encouragement is that Ephesians 5.33 passage. Now, if you've ever read the book Love and Respect, I know some people – like that's not Reformed. I know it's not. But I thought it was a very helpful book, and I would actually suggest that you read it. Uh, and it's actually just springboarding off of Ephesians 5.33. However, let uh, each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, fundamentally, the wife craves feeling loved, and the husband craves feeling respected. And if you think on that, almost that is almost a universal truism that oh, yeah. men want to be respected. And women want to feel loved in a marriage relationship. And when one of those things gets out of whack, okay. Um, I want to be respected. My wife treats me in a way that is disrespectful or says something to me disrespectful. So I in turn treat her in a way that is unloving. She feels unloved. And so she treats me with disrespect and it's just this vicious cycle, right? Uh That continues on and on and on. And even though you may recognize that there's a problem, if you have the love and respect thing out of whack, the the marriage is going to be out of whack. If you can even focus in this in regard of, uh, of encouragement on regards of encouragement on my spouse is lukewarm 
how can I show my lukewarm husband respect? How can I show my lukewarm wife love? If you can, if you can focus in just on those two things, you will already be uh, a long way down the road to encouraging them uh, when they do the right thing. I love what Jack said of the way you don't encourage is to remind them that they've failed, right? So like if my spouse does something good, you know, you don't say, that was really great. I really appreciate that you did that uh, since you never do it normally, you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> or there's some like, you know, there's some like slight, yeah, like some backhand, yeah. some backhanded, you know, comment uh, or something like that. No, uh, the love and respect issue then says, how can I look for ways to show love to my spouse or to my wife? So how can I serve her? Uh, how can I attend to her? Uh, how can I show her affection? Um, for the, for the man, you know, how can I, how can I show respect to my husband? Not nagging, uh, not undermining him. Uh, mm -hmm. when he, when he does right, encourage that right behavior. Yeah. I think of how many men, uh, and we've had that we've talked about this before amongst us and, and, um, family devotions, hmm. how many times I'm gonna call anybody out, you know, but I'll use myself as an example of how many times have I started and stopped family devotions, started and stopped family devotions, started and stopped, you know, you know, yep. a few weeks goes by, you go on vacation, you kind of get out of it. And then you're like, man, it's been a month since we've really, you know, been back in the pattern of, of doing family devos and stuff like that. And to my wife's credit, she's never said, because this is, this is just not in her character. She's never said, uh, Oh, this again. Oh, look who's trying to be the big godly leader again. What is this attempt number 50, you know, or anything like that? Uh, no, every single time it's like, oh, yeah, let's get, yeah, let's get back in, you know, doing that and, you know, gathering yeah. kids up and getting them yeah. back into, you know, patterns and all that good stuff. And it's always encouragement. It's never backhanded. Yeah. 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 And all that to go back to the point you made earlier about personal conduct, I'd encourage the listener to, if your wife or husband and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to focus on love or I'm going to focus on respect, whatever the, you know, where that is. If there will be a, there will be a time. In fact, I won't say if, uh, when your spouse does not receive that the way that you think they should continue to do what's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Even if your, if your spouse is not reciprocating, like, well, I'm giving him all the love. Or I'm giving her all, giving, I'm sorry, giving uh, him all the respect and, and uh, you know, I'm giving her all the love. Yeah. And they're not, and they're not yeah. And you're not getting the other in reverse, you know, the right. response. Keep doing what you're supposed to do. Focus on your personal conduct. Right. Yeah. E I even think, if yeah. they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Right. If we focus just on that principle alone, I mean, in virtually every aspect of the Christian life, to just do the right thing, regardless of the circumstances, mm -hmm. Um, our lives would be a heck of a lot easier for one, but for two, mm -hmm. we would actually see so much more substantive change. I think of right. James, right? He says to him who knows what is right and yet does not do it, it is sin. Um, we know that, but so often we get paralyzed in all the different what ifs with it, or we, we don't see it reciprocated on our end. Yeah. And, 
getting what we think we should get out of it. And, right. and that's ultimately where we always fall into that big trap where it's like, okay, take a step back once more, remind yourself of what is true and good and right. Do right. what's true and good and right and continue to be that godly example in the home. Um, yeah. Because the, the if, whole... if, if they're truly struggling, you're looking to see their their affections for Christ rewarmed, you know, yep. re-inflamed. Uh, and so don't, you know, throw a bucket of cold water on that. Be godly, and godliness inflames godliness. I mean, we understand that. When you have a godly mm-hmm. friend, what does a godly friend do? A godly friend inflames you to godliness. Yeah. Yep. You know? Yeah. Can, can we talk for a second about my favorite Kirk Cameron movie? Uh, Yeah. So a little bit of an odd turn, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's not what you think. It's actually the Growing Pains made for TV movie. (laughs) So in a bootleg VHS of it that I so in Left Behind, it's not. Um, You know, in the context, I thought you were going to say that uh, the fireproof. I was going to say that movie. Yeah, I I haven't seen the movie in a long time. I saw it once, maybe twice. I think I've seen it twice. It was a great movie. You guys ever seen it? I guess Blake has. Have you ever seen it, Grayson? I saw it when I first became a Christian, I think. Okay. It, that's about yeah, right. It, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Anyway, but the, the whole movie, if you've never seen it, it's a pretty powerful movie. It's a Christian movie. Um, there's a, a marriage is basically falling apart because the husband is addicted to pornography. Yeah. He comes to Christ. It's been a long time since I've seen it. So I'm probably, I'm maybe missing. So it's, a, I mean, it's a Christian movie. What I'm going to say, I'm not going to butcher the plot. It's like always the same plot, but um, sorry, Kurt. Uh, it, but you notice how based Kurt Cameron has been lately. Yeah, he's so come along it's, so far. Yeah. He's gotten like he got canceled out of the libraries and then, like for reading his new kids book about God. Yeah, and mm-hmm. the man just went off the rails in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's on the rails now. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the 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 premise of the movie, the whole thing of the movie is his wife like wants nothing to do with him. Right. But he just continues the way he wins her is he continues to love her and do the right thing regardless of how she acts. She just like, oh, get away from me. I don't want to be around. He moves like just continually yeah. shuts him down, shuts him right, down. Right. And he, and he knew he deserved that because of what he had done, mm-hmm. but he turned away from his sin. And the bulk of the movie is him just, I'm going to love my wife and do everything I can to serve her until right. I win her back. Right. Till I and win that, her respect right. effectively. Right. And that's not just yeah. like a, that's not just like a pure flicks plot either. Like that is, it's a heavy movie. Yeah. yeah and that, that, yeah. that is what, I mean, but that is what scripture is getting at in talking about like those kind of things do actually happen. You know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That and it's a thing. The, the gospel say, does bring families together. Yeah. No matter how you're looking at it, whether it's an unbelieving spouse or a lukewarm spouse, the whole idea is that you not only are just the home is just pregnant with the gospel and every single thing you're looking to say and do but there's a fragrance of the gospel as well, where mm-hmm. your demeanor and your character are showing, okay, there's some godly sorrow that I actually feel in my life for maybe my own sin that I need to repent of, um, right. but I'm going to pursue the righteousness of Christ and, and thereby, Lord willing, see an effectual change in my spouse. Um, right. Either way, I think of even Peter's comments to wives to let the conduct be the thing that wins over the unbelieving spouse Um, in so many different ways. Again, we, we often focus on what we should get out of everything, but that, that reality, you know, even in a marriage, um, a good marriage will only only produce more and more fruit. 
Yeah. So, so Christian stay the course. Yep. Stay the course. What do you guys do? Uh, so we're kind of looking at some principles here, kind of moving forward. What do you guys say to the person? Because this this comes up a lot. Blake, you, or I'm sorry, Grayson, you made the comment that the you know there's the general <clears throat> mood of the culture is to just look for a way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you guys are pastors, so I'm sure at some point you've heard this. Someone comes into your offices. I married the wrong person. Right. Yeah, what, yeah. what do you say to that? What do you, what do you say to someone who's convinced they're not married to the person that's for them? Yeah. There, there's actually a very easy, uh, little formula to find out if you've married the right person. Mm. If you're married to that person, they are the right person. Amen. Yeah. Like there is no, there isn't. I, and again, this is like, this is because we live in such a self-centered, uh, me centric culture, which has really danced around some of the other things that we've talked about is that we so often look at every relationship and scenario in life around what am I getting out of this? Mm-hmm. Like, are my needs being met? Am I, do I feel fulfilled? Do I, and that's just not the reality of life in, in general. And when you live like that, um, when you live chasing uh, you know, felt needs and, uh, you know, how many divorces have been come about just off of, just off of that saying, I just think I married the wrong person. Yeah. Um, you know, some Christians may look for an escape, uh, to hopefully land in a, or at least profess that they desire to land in a more God honoring relationship down the road, you know, like, well, my husband, he just, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't love the Lord. Um, so I just want to find somebody, uh, that loves Jesus. And I would say 99.9% of the time I've heard that they've already got their eye on somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. That it's I've, not, I've... it's not hypothetical. It's, I think this other person would be better. Yeah. I've heard stories from other pastors where they, they've told me about, they'll, they'll look at that passage that you read earlier from first Corinthians seven verses 12 through 15. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, so if the, if the unbelieving spouse wants to go, then I'm to let them go. Right. And the pastor goes, okay, yeah, that's what he says. And they're like, okay. And then what they've done from that point on is made a series of decisions to literally drive their spouse insane to get them to leave. Yeah. So they can say, Oh, right. They left. And I, you know, right. I did everything I can to save the marriage. Right. So it, it can go two different ways. It's like they, right. they know they can't make the divorce happen in terms of going and mm. signing the paperwork. Um, right. If they can push them out, they'll push them out. Right. Either As if the Lord looks at that and goes, oh, nuts. You, you got me. You know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got me. Oh, wow. I guess I have to put my stamp of approval on this. I mean, it's just, yeah. again, but sin makes us do stupid things. <laughs> and uh, like, you know, driving your own marriage into the rocks so that you can be seen as, by the world or by the church as appropriately, you know, oh, my spouse left me. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, what a perfect opportunity for that individual, you know, yeah. the spouse leaves them so they get to be the victim and get what they wanted the entire time by yep. driving their marriage up on the rocks. Now, obviously that's not everybody that we're right. talking about. That's just a scenario. Um, and it's a semi-frequent one, at least to my experience. Yeah. I, I've heard of people who 
purposely neglect their spouse so that they'll have an affair sure. so that their spouse will have an affair so that they feel Scott for, Oh, I can get the divorce now. Right. And that's not like, to say that you feeling neglected in a marriage necessitates an affair right. either, you know, no, exactly. No. Yeah. yeah. If you're, yeah. yeah. The whole point, I mean, sin makes you do some really stupid things, but also just some ugly and petty things. Right. Right. Hmm. Right. Um, so again, our primary call is not to escape this difficult uh, situation at any cost, uh, but to be obedient in a particularly difficult season. Okay. Mm. Um, 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him. This is what Jack read earlier. And to which God has called him. This is my rule in all of the churches. I mean, and this, this pulls in so many things that we've already talked about, like with contentment, right? Yeah. Um, with trusting the Lord, with uh, biblical uh, masculinity and femininity. I mean, this is where all these principles come into play where you're not saying, I'm just looking for a way out, but mm -hmm. I will honor the Lord in this difficult season and see what God does with it. Yeah. You know, yep. And what he do, does with me and what he'll do with my, with my spouse. Yeah. Can I, I'll share a verse. This, I keep coming back to this verse. I read it a couple of days ago with my kids as we're doing family worship. And as we've been talking this entire time, I keep thinking about this verse. Cause I, I don't know. The Lord's just put it in my heart, but Romans two, six and seven. Mm -hmm. And he says, he will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And I understand the context of what he's saying here related to the God's righteous judgment and everything going on, but, but just that contrast and think the contrast of well-doing, patience, seeking glory, honor, basically seeking Christ, Patience, mm -hmm. contentment, you know, the fruits of the spirit, living it out in the way that is God honoring verse self-seeking, ignoring the truth and obeying unrighteousness, kind of lawlessness. Mm -hmm. yep. You just have this, 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 this stark contrast between the two. And regardless of what's happening in your life, regardless of what your spouse is doing, you have to honor that. You have to, he will render yeah. to each one according to his works, to your works. Well, and I, right. I th it makes me think of, I think it was D.A. Carson. He said, God is more interested in your holiness rather than your happiness. Yeah, amen. And I mean, that that verse goes hand in hand with that reality of just looking at it and being able to understand right. that um, it, it's not a game. And I don't even mean that flippantly in how I'm saying it, but every every single thing that we are doing is an act of worship to our God in light mm. of the fact that he's given us grace in Christ or... Mm. <laughs> it's a means where we are showing idolatry because it's false worship and we're showing mm. allegiance to the pattern of this world and everything else as John would put it in second John or first right. John too. Yep. Right. Right. And I, you know, and I think it's encouragement too, if you can kind of hone in on that, the Romans eight principle too, that if you truly believe that God works all things for good for those who love Christ, and are called according to his purpose, then even in this difficult situation that is not ideal, that 
God has a reason for this, that it could be the salvation of your spouse. It could be growth and holiness for you and your spouse. It could be as an example uh, to your children. I mean, the manifold things that God can do uh, with your obedience are, I mean, there's in, they're innumerable. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. innumerable. And so to desire, and I mean, I know, I know it's easy in principle for me, you know, sitting here right now to say like, well, you just, you know, stick with it. But I mean, it's not me saying that it's not us saying that it's the word of God saying that. Um, I think it's important too, that when we're talking about the, this principle kind of thing. So again, there's, there's just, there's no easy out on it and you need to be doing everything you can to uh, lead your spouse uh, in the way that they should go. But of course, be sure to go that way yourself. You know, yeah, you're desiring yep. godliness for your spouse. So you need to be godly. You need to walk in godliness. You need to exemplify uh, the fruits of the spirit to them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll read that. The fruits of the spirit. Galatians okay. 5. 2223. I was going to ask an the awkward question and be like, Ed, what are they, Jack? <laughs> <laughs> the fruits of the spirit. Yeah, sing the song. Sing yeah. But the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. I love that. Um, yeah. You think of all the different things that we can go headlong into when it comes to sin. And there's a law against every one of them, right? And yet all the, the good things that God has called us to be able to do in the power of the spirit, he says, against such, there is no law. So yeah. you can never do it enough. You can never out excel what you're supposed to be doing in terms of just evidencing the very fruit of the salvation God's given you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. to segue, should go, then, should go, go ahead, Grayson. I was just going to say that that then just leads right into the next point that Ultimately, a vibrant relationship with Christ is going to be the most important factor in ministering to your spouse. And whether they're lukewarm or an unbeliever, um, the closer you are to Christ and the more you know of your Savior, the the more you should reflect that in the marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Considering God's patience toward you makes you more patient, right? <clears throat> Considering Christ's love toward you makes you more loving. It, it shapes how you love others. It shapes your patience with others. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a good principle all the way around, not just for your spouse, but for your children, your coworkers, the folks at, uh, you know, at the office, all that good stuff. Um, another uh, principle that we have here, of course, is uh, the realm of prayer uh, to be praying for your spouse. There's a couple of practical things here. Um, it's been said before, probably by a hundred different guys. I don't know who said it originally, but it's really hard, uh, to fight with someone that you're praying for. Mm -hmm. I mean, really praying for, you know, praying for their salvation, praying for their spiritual well being. Uh, it's hard to hate that person and become bitter against that person. Um, it's hard to, uh, react sinfully toward that person when you are constantly bringing that person before the throne. Uh, and asking God to either save them or or change them. Uh, and then, of course, is just the reality that prayer, for lack of better term, works. God does legitimately, <laughs> actually 
answer prayer, you know? Yep. Well, you and think that of it's James, not, right? Yeah. I, I think sometimes we gut prayer by saying like that thing, like, well, prayer changes you. It's like, well, yes, prayer changes you, but um, I believe that God sovereignly responds to prayer yes. uh, as well. It's a very right? means I mean, by which yeah. God is pleased to carry out his will is to use right. you to pray. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you think of, I, I, again, back to Romans, cause it's on my mind. So, you know, Romans nine, you got this whole sovereignty, heavy, meaty thing. And you know, one of the accusations against, you know, Calvinists and you know, whatever, uh, is that, uh, you, well, you just don't pray then, you know, if God's mm -hmm. just going to choose, then if God's going to choose just to save some and, and pass over others, then, uh, then it's, it's useless to pray. I love that immediately in Romans 10. So Romans nine wraps up verse one of Romans 10. Paul says, brothers, my, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they would be saved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, he just talks about sovereignty and the natural actually outworking of that understanding that doctrine is. So my earnest prayer is that they would come to know Christ. Hmm. Right. I just love that. Yep. Love That's it. Beautiful. So be, so obviously be praying for your spouse. Um, one of the things we've learned from church history, I think, I think we're all fans of church history is that you can bully people into the kingdom, right? <laughs> Convert or die, you know, yeah. and how well that's worked uh, historically. <laughs> right, Jack? You're talking about uh, like Presbyterians rebaptizing <laughs> people? Or? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I'm going to go to the bathroom, you guys. So, yeah. yeah. So here's. It's like you just, you just wrap it up. So here's the, here's the thing is depending on your, your demeanor, you know, your, your personality. And I think you can chalk some of this up to, you know, personality, uh, depending on how combative you are and your, 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 uh, threshold for nonsense and your tolerance for nonsense, you can be very tempted to just want to drag somebody kicking and screaming into the kingdom by your arguments, your sarcastic, biting words, and your theological prowess, right? Yeah. I can tell you the fruit of it. I actually, there's a, a group of old men in our city that have gone from church to church to church. They've even started their own home churches at different points. Um, they have been kicked out of different churches, disciplined out of different churches, literally because they have the same antagonistic attitude towards everyone. And all of them. I mean, this is a group of about 15 older men that I no. somehow come into interaction with at least five of them. Um, but I yeah. know the other ones vicariously, all yeah. of them, no longer will their kids come around the house for holidays. Yep. Many of them have abandoned the faith altogether. Their wives, none of them go to church with them. Right. If any of them go to church, they all go to a different church. So they successfully mm -hmm. bullied their entire family away from them into oblivion right pet doctrines or whatever else that they had to hold to in obscurity where they couldn't just actually go to a, a solid faithful church um and i don't even mean our own church i mean there's other churches they could go to but they had right. literally run the gamut through all different ones and they and they right. alone held the corner on truth 
Yeah. So they bullied people into obscurity. Right. I, this is a, it, I think admittedly, this is a really hard balance to find. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you love, like when you love uh, the person, obviously there's an emotion behind, like you, you want them to walk. Right. I mean, you think about the times that you're frustrated with those that you love um, surrounding, you know, doctrinal things. Usually it's out of a place of care for them. If you have a, a parent that's doctrinally wacky or a, you know, an aunt and uncle or something like that, that there's this thing of like, well, no, I want you to walk right. Like I want you to understand, right. Like I want you to see things mm -hmm. uh, correctly and you can be, you can be strangely, you can be too abrasive or mean spirited or seeking yep. just to win arguments and, and, and things like that. And in doing so you can actually do the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish and like Grayson said, you can drive the ones you love most away from you yeah. when you're trying to actually bring them closer to you. So finding that balance of not being a coward, but also not being, uh, you know, converted, convert or die at the point of the sword kind of individual. Either. Yeah. My, my yeah. basic philosophy with that is just don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> I mean... Mm -hmm. recognize that there's there's error to be combated and corrected. And if you're the husband, that's especially your job. But at the end of the day, um, recognize that you're a finite, fallible human being as well. And you need to right. just embrace it with some humility. Look at right. the example of Christ and how exceedingly patient he was with mm -hmm. the disciples, right? The disciples are, they're, they're looking at him and he's like, okay, guys, in three days, I'm going to die and raise again. And he could have told them a few times and they're like, I'm sorry, I'm still not picking up what you're putting down. Right. Yeah. Or when they're like, right. hold on, where are you going to get all the extra <laughs> loaves and fish from? And he goes, are you, right. we've done this before. <laughs> yeah. We literally just went through this. Were you guys you not, not part remember? of that? Yeah. Right. Right. So do you remember? I think of thing? things I like just, that yeah. though. And it's like, how right. gracious and kind was he towards them? Right. And yeah. How gracious and kind has he been towards us? Right. And where you are now, you know, in your own understanding of your own level of spirituality, you didn't you didn't arrive here overnight. I know that the Lord has, you know, been, you know, working on you for probably many, many, many years. Uh, and so the Lord has been patient with you. You can stand to show some patience for that individual and and pick your fights. You know, yeah. I mean, pick your pick your battles wisely, uh, you know, particularly on what are gospel issues yes versus yep. you know secondary you know secondary yeah. things um yeah and i would say to, to add you guys are spot on and i think it goes back to the fruit of the spirit like you can mm -hmm. you can promote truth you can address doctrine you can do these things but the disposition of your heart the vast majority of the time and even in those moments should be one of love joy Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, and I would say if if that is the truly the disposition of your heart and that's something that you are working towards, people, likely your spouse, will be much more apt to listen to what you have to say when yeah. you bring up some doctrinal issue or, or some church thing, right? If, right. If, if they look at you and say, this is a person who they may not think this way because they're, you know, outside of Christ or, or, uh, or lukewarm, but if they look at you and, and, and equate you to being the fruit of the spirit, this is someone who's a really kind, gracious, 
right. person. Yeah. Right. I want to hear what they have to say about this. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I mean, if you want to be brave, look at all of those different qualities of the spirit and simply ask yourself, in what ways am I doing that? So specific, mm-hmm. tangible ways. But then for two, if you want to be really brave, go ask your spouse. Mm-hmm. Right? And how well am I doing at that? Am I, do you see me as a gentle or a meek man? Do you see me as a man who mm-hmm. is patient and kind? Um, do you think though, loves do you, yeah. Do you think though that that would more, I, I'm just, I'm just talking out loud, trying to work that through my mind that like that even, do you think that the fruits of the spirit are things that are spiritually discerned or that even a lost individual could make a right assessment People to a know degree. What I mean, not well, to not well, to get more so yeah. on a weaker, on you know, yeah, right, spouse right. rather than unbeliever. There's going right. to be point. I mean, you could be the nicest person in the world, um, filled with goodness and kindness, and yet they can hate you for it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, right, right. So in that, I mean, because that happens to I mean, Christ, right? <laughs> so yeah. find yeah. find wise men and women who can come alongside you though and point out. Right, the truth to you. I mean, find yeah. a good Proverbs friend who was willing to deliver wounds of a friend rather than the kisses of an enemy. Because right. you could find people on the opposite tack of that too that do just yeah. as much harm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in all of this, I think uh, in the last kind of point that I had out on our outline was I think something you have to be really careful about, and, may- and maybe this is. I think there's lots of application here. I think when you have a a spouse that is either lukewarm or not a Christian, you have to be very careful about how highly you speak of Christians, other Christians of the same gender, even the pastor, um, to go home and, you know, just really gush over so-and-so's husband or so-and-so's wife. I mean, not even in a, not necessarily even in a comparative way. Like I wish you were, why can't you be more like Jerry, you know, uh, you know, why can't you be more like Jerry? You're coming. Um, We're bringing you back up, Jerry. Right. Right. Like, why can't you be more like Jerry? He's, you know, he loves his, his wife and you know, they're eight dogs or what, I don't know, whatever. Um, not even necessarily in that vein, but just, uh, provoking your spouse to jealousy accidentally yeah. by high, how highly you speak of someone at church or someone at, I just think you have to be really careful and wise uh, with your words Yes, in, in that regard, in that regard, because why, yeah. why push them? Uh, why push them to a point of, of jealousy or even feeling inadequate, especially if, someone is struggling and they're growing or they're like a new Christian and they're stumbling and falling and all these different things, um, you know, to compare them to, you know, whatever your, your pastor or some godly individual, uh, that can be really gutting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think. think it's exceedingly damaging no matter how you stretch it. Um, I, I can't, I, I imagine I would never do that with my wife, but I can, I can see it happening if you fall into that victim or, trap with your kids right Mm was like why didn't you do what your sister did here or why can't you be better at this and that it's the same type of effect within a marriage so i mean you'll you'll gut them you'll exacerbate and any any good that you may have spoken to and tried to encourage them um you'll find that you're undoing that very quickly by pointing out somebody else who just does it better or 
I think this is one of the roles too of of within the church, you know, being aware of your brothers and sisters situations uh, with their spouses, you know, in particular, I mean, maybe you have a, a lady that comes and her husband never comes. Maybe he comes like on Easter or Christmas or whatever. Uh, I think it's important that as God, as, as men of God to come around ungodly men, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, or, or, or uh, lukewarm men, uh, and not be not let their their wife put you up as a, as an example, uh, but showing yourself even as a friendly, godly man to that individual um, as as an example. I mean, don't we see that in scripture? You know, the older mm-hmm. men training uh, yeah. Yeah, the younger men and, uh, you know, bringing them along and getting some, you know, godly education and support and all yeah. those kinds of things. Yep. Well, it, it goes yeah. a long way too. I think of the idea that we talked about earlier with love and respect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a man from the church come up to an unbelieving man who you know the spouse is there, and yet you look him in the eye, you give him a firm handshake, you treat him with respect and dignity. Um, right. You know his right. name when you come talk to him because you've seen him before, yeah. right? Yeah. There's just some element to that where he's going to say, okay. I might not be here all that often, but when I come, there's at least some people that take the time to show they care about me in some way. Right. Right. Which I think is a, which is becoming a rarer and rarer quality. Um, one of the things this is that I talk to our men often about, and we've discussed this particularly in our podcast with Nancy Piercy and things is the world hates men, Yep. you know? And for a, and so for a man to be able to even come to a place where again, like you said, firm handshake and a genuine, you know, greeting and a genuine interest in the person, you know, I think that can, that can speak volumes, uh, to what Christ actually does with an individual. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Um, I, I jotted down a note here, uh, yeah, I guess I'll go ahead and say it. So. <laughs> Those are the ones I really want to hear. When you're yeah. like, I don't. Yeah. You, yeah. Maybe you guys will disagree with me. So I Probably put a not, note here because yeah. I, I, I was like typing. You, Blake put together this outline is very good, and I was kind of thinking some thoughts, and I was putting like you know some 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 things that I might think about about adding to the podcast. And I'll, I'll put this out here. So while marriage is a blessing, just kind of another thing to remember, marriage is an incredibly blessing, an incredible blessing. Mm-hmm. But it is not primarily Most about your time. happiness. Right. Most are blessings. Right. But, but the point of marriage, at least in a in a biblical sense, when it's working the way it's when supposed it's work, to, yes, yeah. in, a, in the ideal sense, it's not to make you happy. That could be an outcome of it, but mm. that's not its primary purpose. You guys can disagree with me here. I would say the primary purpose is to teach us about Christ and the church, and I'm and I'm drawing that out of Ephesians five. Five, sure, yeah. right? sure. Yep. That. Yeah. In fact, 532, he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. It is a gift to us. I mean, Adam and Eve, it's good that man not be alone. Like, there's, there's, there is purpose and benefit to us, but I think, but, but marriage is a, a, an incredible tool of sanctification that teaches us about Christ and the church. And you kind of alluded to this earlier, Blake, about remember God's patience with us. Mm-hmm. I think, I think is we kind of the theme of the message here is 
everyone's situation is unique. And, and above all, if, if you feel like you sh you're in a dangerous situation or one of these things, go talk to your elders. Like that's not for us to talk about. We're talking about the principles right. of scripture here. Right. Uh -huh. But one of the principles of scripture, this recurring theme is learn contentment, take control of yourself, uh, live out the fruits of the spirit, embody the Christ, embody the gospel. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, that mystery is profound and it's teaching you about Christ in the church. You know, sure. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on what I said? You could say I'm out of line, overstating it. Th what do you think? I think, and, and you may even disagree with it. I think I would hold those things in equal parts. So hmm. there is the illustrative church and Christ factor, which is obvious right. from yep. Ephesians five. I mean, it's what mm -hmm. it says, uh, but then I, but I do go back to the, uh, the Genesis principle of that yeah. the foundationally it's, it's not good for man yep. to be alone, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's a, there's a sanctification aspect in there. There's also a, um, a, um, oh, how do you say, how do you say that without going off into a whole nother thing? There's a completing <laughs> factor, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, there is, and I think we, we try to avoid that, uh, in Christendom, because again, a lot of me focused, uh, you know, theology and things like that. And we know that obviously Paul, uh, wasn't married and, and I, I understand all of that, but if, if in Genesis three, if, or in Genesis two, rather, if God is saying, uh, that there's not a helper fit for Adam and it's not good for man to be alone, right? There's something there like that yep. is, that is the normative. I think I wonder the, I, I don't disagree with you. Like I, I, yeah. I genuinely agree. And I think this is where we're, we would get into the course and the chaos nuance yeah. of the past. Like right. I, I do wonder if our hermeneutics play into this a little bit because I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it. This would be a discussion, not for a podcast where we would just sit and talk about it. I, Cause I'm, <laughs> yeah. it's an interesting discussion. I, I agree with you. I, don't, I do not disagree. The course with that. of My chaos point, after hours. Yeah. After hours. Yeah. My point yeah. is not to completely disregard <laughs> the human aspect. Right. I'm not doing that at all. Right. But I am saying that marriage's primary function is to teach us about Christ in the church. Yeah. I think and when it's doing that though. So yeah, when a marriage is being lived out in its optimum you know, godliness, right. it is, it is a cause for happiness and joy. And it is teaching us about Christ and the Completely church. Like those two yeah. things go, uh, yeah. hand in hand, I think. And, but, but marriage itself, because of sin is not an automatic blessing. I mean, you think of Job's wife, you know, curse God. It's an automatic, I didn't, yeah, I'm not saying it's an automatic, blessing, right. but it is a gift from God. Oh yeah. Yeah. Men no, squander for sure. it for yeah. sure. There's lots of good gifts that get perverted and messed up because right. of sin. Right. And sin in a marriage is one of the most damaging um, in lots of different fields. I mean, look at, um, uh, you know, Jezebel and her husband. I mean, it's yeah. just oh, yeah. awful. I mean, awful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Job's wife, awful. I mean, there's, there's all yeah. kinds of scenarios yeah. uh, that you see bad marriages you know, yeah. Unequally yoked. I mean, you think Samson and Delilah, you see that whole situation. I mean, it's just, you, we have lots oh, of examples of how side. bad, how bad marriage can actually go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. That's why I, yeah. I even, 
I even question saying it because I'm like, I don't know that I fully. No, you are right though. I mean, like, I, but in a way you are right. I'm not disagreeing with what yeah, you're saying either. I probably, I need to think about the phrasing. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, a, maybe in another pocket, I'll think about the phrasing yeah. to, to think of this would be the, it'd be one of those things I'd want to write out and like, think, is this the exact right way to say what I'm, right. I'm trying to say? Sure. But all that to say, we, I, I do think it's important that we make the case that a godly marriage teaches us about Christ. teaches us about the Christ. Truth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it 100%. is a, well, and I would even and argue this, an ungodly marriage will still teach you about Christ and the church. It just teaches you poor theology about those things, or gives you bad, hmm. poisonous doctrine about those things. So you're always teaching. Um, it's just a matter of what you're teaching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What, what did you say again, Jack? Say, say, the, what was your thesis again? I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't know what I'm <laughs> we'll cut it right here. We'll roll it back. Yeah. No, because, yeah, you were saying that the primary, the, the primary prim yeah, purpose, the, the primary purpose of marriage is not happiness. It's sanctification because marriage is intended to, to it's a mist. The mystery is profound and it refers to Christ in the church. Yeah. So see, that's, I would quibble with that. Maybe I'm overstating it. That's what I say. Maybe I'm, as I've continued to talk to it, maybe well, I'm overstating grace I think and I don't quibbles. know. Yeah. But What'd I think of Christ's own joy with his bride, um, right? I mean, for the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross in Hebrews. Um, every aspect of what talks about with the wedding feast that is to come, it's nothing but pure joy. And so there's that aspect of it, too, that I think you you cannot shy away from that reality that it does teach about Christ in the church. But I think in that, um, or sanctification being a, pri a primary vehicle that happens in marriage. But there's also just that factor of joy that I think um, from the very beginning, even in the book of Genesis, when Adam first sees Eve, he actually breaks out in he the Hebrew. Sings, yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, he yeah. sings. He sings a love song, if yeah. you will. Um, pure joy yeah. at the creative wonder of what yeah. God's done. So, yeah, I think we'd have to tease that out a bit more in terms of the language. My My quibble is the word primary yeah that, that's why i say I, I think i'd want to not to i don't want to get hung up on this anymore but write it out and think about it i think there's probably a a thesis here i'll write yeah. an article maybe a book maybe there i'll go. write a book you know i don't know It'll, can i do the foreword for it yeah and Grace, i have some quibbles with some of the things in this book <laughs> but uh yeah and i'll do the afterward yeah <laughs> yeah I didn't agree with anything this guy said. Right. But, but he <laughs> you just to totally so. wasted your time reading this. No, no. I, again, Jack, I think, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the picture is obviously there. Yeah. Obviously. It's just yeah. a matter of primary matters. And I, is it possible to have more than one primary factor? I probably, I don't know. Yeah. So. All right, we'll just end the podcast. It's like when a little kid says that, you know, they have five best friends, you know? Yeah. Like, well, by virtue I, I was of actually, being best. Yeah, right, right, right. As soon as he said, <laughs> can you have more than one primary? I'm like, no, it's literally in the meaning of the word. Right, of the word primary. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'll just say a main function, and we'll, we'll, we'll agree to that. Okay. Now that I can is get, some, I can get along the that. chorus and the chaos nuance. That's, that's some, yeah. that's some ecumenical yeah. phrasing right there, so. All now right. no one's happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to the course and the chaos. Um, we're excited about the second half of season two. I think uh, we've got 
pretty much episodes lined up to run us through the rest of the year, I think. Right, right. right. Yeah, we got so good stuff coming too. I'm yeah, excited. A lot of good stuff. Yeah. Uh, anything else you guys want to end in closing? I'd just like to apologize to Jerry again. Yeah. yeah. But if Jerry, you if you made the, it this far, if you yeah. comment first you say, on YouTube, though, you'll at least get a free book out of it, Jerry. That is right. Yes. Yeah. Don't be mad at us, Jerry. True. True. Yeah. So, if all right. You are until Jerry next time. Offended. <laughs> <laughs>